This morning we're picking up in Matthew 18, verse 10, as we begin Bible study number 28. This is Bible study number 28. We are one behind on the OEBS page. Uh, I'll try to get that number 27 on there as soon as possible. But if you go to, I believe we are correct on the... Um, we are correct on the Bible Media page there on uh, with all those Bible studies. We are finishing up a transition from our current uh, provider to a previous one, and, but the Bible studies have been transferred over there. So if you go to Podbean and look up Bible studies with Russ, or if you look up uh, Bible Media, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Uh, they're in the search bar, either on the page or in their mobile app. You can find uh, there the page for Bible studies with Russ. And I'll put that link on here on this page later. And so, but we are carrying over that page. It will be an audio only one, uh, but we'll, we are carrying those over. But uh, the video ones will be available on OABS. And uh, of course, audio only, of course, will be available on Mixler as well. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 18, and looking at verse 10, and as we always, as I try to mention each time, I do use the New King James when uh, during this Bible study, and when I refer to a commentary, there is only one that I refer to, at least 95% of the time, and that's by Max Patterson. Uh, as I mentioned before, he taught us Greek when I was in Bible school, and he, knowing him personally and having gone through many of these commentaries uh, from front to back, uh, I can say that I have no problem using them and encouraging others to do the same. That does not mean there's going to be things that I have disagreements on, but I haven't met, I haven't come across anything that I would say I'm going to look at and say, well, that is false teaching or damnable doctrine. I have not come across anything like that. Um, but anyway, when I refer to Brother Max, that's who I'm talking to, Brother Max Patterson. Uh, he put together a series of outline commentaries of all the books in the New Testament, several of the Old Testament, and then also some topical uh, studies as well. I mention that because if I'm going to use his material or refer to some of his material, uh, I want to uh, make sure everyone knows that. Uh, most of the time when I refer to his, you hear me say Brother Max. And so that's when you know I'm looking at some of his material here. Uh, anyway, so Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. If you are familiar with this section, and bear with me sniffling, allergies are coming at me hard here since last week, and so I'm trying to get over that. But uh, anyway, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10, this is a parable of the lost sheep. And really, as you begin this section, and as you go through Matthew 18, you find numerous, uh, you find several examples here of the importance of seeking and saving the lost. And then, of course, we get into the idea about when a brother sins against you and those types of things. Uh, but here, let's look at Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my uh, Father who, who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to come to say that which was lost um, that you that you despise not that you not despise literally means to think down upon here in verse 10 uh, these passages um, where the person says here these passages 
teach no more than, like God the Father, the angels in heaven take special care and interest in the welfare of Christians here on earth. Um, this is not, he's not referring to a guardian angel. Uh, we know in the Bible, we find examples of angels uh, coming to different individuals. A an angel literally means a messenger from God. That's all it means. And so when you sometimes you read about, you hear people talk about angels and things, and especially those who, uh, well, people who who are not familiar with the church, the Lord's church, those who maybe are not on the denomination, people sometimes fail to realize, let me put it this way, because this is not something that's exclusive to those who are not members of the church, because there are those who are members of the church today who misuse that term angel. But it simply means a messenger of God. And so if you really, if you think about that, since that's really all that it means, there are no doubt those who we'd say are are angel because they are they are a messenger that bring the bring a message from God. Maybe not literally that God has put it upon them uh, to do that in some miraculous way, but it's just a messenger. And we look at that here in verse ten. And you look up, you click on that word uh, according to Strong's again. The word angel literally means a messenger, an envoy, one who is sent, an angel, and a messenger from God. Uh, I do not believe it has to always be a reference to a messenger from God, because an angel can simply just be a messenger. We may look upon them, a person as an angel, just because we are appreciative of the message that they bring. We do not mean angel in the sense they have big white wings and a halo. That's not always what we're talking about here. Um, and it's interesting in the Bible, you don't always find you don't find descriptions like that in referencing uh, heavenly beings. And then sometimes what people think of, and they hear the word angel, they think of a heavenly being. Uh, here in this in this situation here in verse 10, that would be the case. Those who occupy heaven, uh, simply being that they too have a desire to look out for man as well. Uh, only within accordance to, of course, we understand God's will. Not a guardian angel. Do you remember those Capital One commercials where you had those guardian angels who, uh, that's how they were portrayed there. And anytime someone... Uh, Used a card that wasn't the what was it Capital One card I guess what it was uh, they they you know they would slap their hand and warm them but every unless unless that was the case there'd be different you know different things going on going on in the commercial and all these things would be fault they would be coming upon this person until they reached for the wrong card and not the Capital One card and then that angel would stop them and tell them to use the Capital One card ridiculous right um, guardian angels do not exist. Uh, even in it was interesting. Even in, in the Bible, uh, even in the Old Testament, we don't find examples of someone being guarded by an angel. You find examples of God leading people. We know, uh, as we look concerning Israel, God led people, but that is not the same thing. And so we think about this idea of angels. We have to remember the the concept. Most of the time, is simply someone who's a messenger, with the exception here in verse ten. Well, the idea here is that uh, God, the Father, and angels have an interest in the matters of the earth. That is not meant to make us, uh, should not though have, give us the idea or the impression of a guardian angel is coming down and interfering in, in life. That's not the case. Uh, anytime an angel from heaven, a heavenly being, acts, it's according to the will of God. Now, looking at verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to seek, or come rather, to save that which was lost. The primary idea we find in verse 10 and 11 is that God, even the angels of heaven, want mankind to be saved. That's the key thought there in verses 10 and 11. God and the angels of heaven want mankind to be saved. And then we get into the actual parable here in verse 12 of Matthew 18, where he says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep 
and one of them goes astray, does not leave the ninety-nine, and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little little ones should perish. And so again, that verse 14 summarizes that section. It's not the will of the Father who is in heaven, we could say they're recording verse 10, or the angels of heaven, that any one of these little ones should perish. God wants all mankind to be saved. That's what we find there in verses 10 through 14. But again, if you look at verse 10, you pull out of context, people want to overcomplicate things. Verses 10 through 14 is best summarized by looking at verse 11 and again in verse 14, which tells us what? God wants mankind to be saved, including the, quote, little ones here, being a reference to sometimes to children, sometimes to babes in Christ, uh, to new converts. He wants all mankind to be saved. Now, in verses 15 and following, in verses 15 through 20 of Matthew 18, to me, these are words of encouragement. We have, no doubt, instances here in verses 15 through 20 that describe a situation which could be very uncomfortable for people. But it's interesting, if you apply what is taught in verses 15 through 20, if you apply that even to, and we should, I think, as well, even to the world in general, we apply it in the workplace, how much would how much would things improve? Because in verses 15 through 20, the idea here is if someone has has wronged you in some way, you go to that person one-on-one. You don't go blasting them. You don't go gossiping behind their back. You don't say, well, this person did this to me. They haven't repented of it. Because if someone says that to me, the first thing I want to ask them is, have you went and talked to that person? Because in my humble opinion, most of the time, a lot of heartache can be avoided because so many times things are just mis. Someone that has said something or done something they haven't realized, they were maybe perhaps, sometimes there are those who misunderstood. Not always, because some people can just be <laughs> in the wrong. Um, but there's also times when someone gets upset with someone else and they feel like they have been wrong, and that, that other person who, who's being you know talked about doesn't realize what's going on. Didn't you know something was said or done that was not meant to be to be hurtful or to be harmful. That's why the very first thing that we find here in verse 15, as we deal with this person who is sinning, is if you go to that person one-on-one, you don't go call up other people and start talking about it. You don't pull people aside and start saying, well, this person did this wrong to me. You know, I wish they, you know, I wish they would correct it or they haven't corrected it yet. That's not what you do. That's not what you do. But yet, what do we see some, sometimes in the church today? I'm going to say every time because that's not the case. But what do we see sometimes in the church today? We see people who refuse to deal with those difficult situations. Because sometimes we fail to realize that when we look at verses 15 through 18, he's not just talking about elders or deacons or anything like that. This actually is a reference to any time you are wrong that you should go talk to that person. But there are those today who say, well, someone's wronged me. I wish elders would go talk to them about it. No, you should go talk to them first. Because in verse 15, the first thing we deal with is one-on-one. So much heartache and so much confusion and misunderstandings could be cleared up if we went and talked to people one-on-one. Sometimes people say things they didn't mean it to come across that way. Sometimes people do things and they, oh, well, and they come back later and someone says, well, you know, that offended me or feel like you sinned against me when you did that. The person many times may not even know it. Now, however, there are those situations where individuals know perfectly well what they're doing. And the same, the answer is still the same, isn't it? We go and we talk to that person. Look at verse 15. He says here, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, 
Now, we have to realize, of course, there are going to be those individuals today who say things that are hurtful, that are rude to you, who, we're honest, there are those who are rude to us, and they're not going to repent because they're going to be those who are not honest. And even though they know they were rude, and they were rude on purpose, are not going to repent. There's There are those situations that my thought, and it's sad in this way, that there are those who will not repent of those types of things, and we have to just do what? We have to deal with it. Now, I will say that I will tolerate someone being rude to me. But there are certain things today that I will not tolerate. And the Bible says that as well. There are those, you know, you think about it, you know, Peter said things to Christ which he shouldn't have. And God in Christ corrected him. We also realize today that there are some things that we're going to have to deal with one-on-one. And certain things, we're just going to have to suck it up and move on. You know, someone being rude and harsh, maybe we talk to them. We we can we should definitely bring it up at least once I think to them. If that person will not you know correct it or just will say well you know I didn't think what I said was all that wrong, <laughs> you know then people can really start coming back and say well that's hearsay I never said that or I never said that. Um, but of course if someone's present and hears it then that's a little bit different, isn't it? But the point I'm making is there are some things that we're going to have to realize that we're just going to suck it up. Some things are indeed a matter of fellowship and some things are not. You know, we have to realize, of course, that yes, the Bible encourages people to be friendly to one another, to be kind to one another, to be loved, loving towards one another. Who are those today who just simply will not do it? Now, they will argue to their, to their blue in the face that, well, I didn't say that. I didn't mean anything by that. When they perfectly well did mean to harm someone. But we need to do our very best. And someone hurts your feelings, or someone does something that is sinful, go to that person one-on-one. Don't go behind someone's back and start mouthing and saying things you shouldn't. Go to that person one-on-one. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I know it's tell him his fault. Don't go in there and say, well, you know, you did something that really bothered me. What was it? Well, you know, and kind of him haul around it. That's not how you do it. He says in verse 15, tell him, now of course we understand the word him is, is a relative term. It means here in this context, mankind. So he can be referring to a man or a woman. Go and tell him his fault between you, and now notice, you and him alone. Deal with those things. We need people today who will suck it up and go talk to someone who they feel like if they've been wrong, go and talk with them. It may come out well in the end, as we find in verse 16, or it may not. But at least we have done our very best to correct it. You look at verse 15 again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. What does that mean? He's talking about that if they listen to you, then what have you doing? You you have prevented that relationship from crumbling apart, that fellowship from from being uh, injured. Now, you notice here, though, in verse 15, it doesn't say to go go and do what and be harsh to that person. It doesn't say go in there and start saying, I demand that you do. No, no. Because throughout all this, we find, we're, we're going to find here in just a moment why verse 20 is so important. And then, by the way, verse 20 has nothing to do with worship. <laughs> it, the principal idea there is true, but that has nothing to do with worship. In context, verse 20 has nothing to do with worship. You think about it. Why would you have something concerning worship between right, right, right in the midst of the sitting brother, verses 15 through 19, and verse 21, 
dealing with unforgiving servant. But verse 20 is all about worship. No, that's not what he's talking about. You have gained your brother, verse 15, that is, if he hears you. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, verse 16 deals with the idea of not those who were there when you when this wrong was happened, but those who are there to hear and see and witness that you are talking to this person and you're trying to correct it. Again, this is not to go in and to jump all over this person. But the idea here is that what? You have wronged me, now they're here to, to hear your reply as well. So that every word of verse 16 may be established. Take with you two or three witnesses, right? So if you take with you two or three, that gives that means now there's at least three people, including yourself, or four there. Why? Because people sometimes remember things conveniently differently than what you may. How many times have we heard we talked to someone? And they do something that's that's not right. And you come back later and you try to talk to them about it. And they say, well, I don't remember that. Well, look at verse 16. That corrects that, doesn't it? There's no room. Well, no, I heard it. They heard it. And the person who was there heard it. There's no trying to get out of it. Right? Because now, remember, this happens after you go to that person one-on-one. We need more of this today. This doesn't mean that every time someone is, I don't take this as meaning every time someone says something that slightly offends you or hurts your feelings, you get all in a huff and go there and demand they repent. But it doesn't hurt to say, you know what, you know, what you said wasn't very nice. You think, you know, that hurt my feelings. You know, there's certain things to me, in my opinion, that do not are not going to go to verse 16. If someone says something that's hurtful, I'm maybe going to ask them, you know, why would you say that? That was rude. And many times things, you know, as far as that goes, that's probably as far as it's going to go. But they do something a little bit more. Then I'm going to bring out verse 15 and verse 16. But friends, it shouldn't ever get past verse 16 or verse 15, really, for honest, shouldn't it? It should never get past that. One-on-one, if someone comes to me one-on-one says, you did this, you know, you have committed this sin against me, I'm going to correct it. If I believe or if it's pointed out to me that I have done something wrong and I realize, you know what, yeah, I did. I need to correct it. I'm sorry. No, please forgive me. That's what should happen in verse 15. The Dustin says here, six, year, six years of law enforcement, you realize so many say what they wanted uh, see or say what they wanted to see or see what they wanted to see, right? Uh, definitely. People w- will will say certain things happen because they believe that's what, that's what the case really was. People like to recall history that wasn't really history, right? Verse 16, again, though, will will prevent that, or should, uh, because now it's just one person's word against, not just one, but one person's word against three or four people now, including yourself. Verse 17, I notice the word he uses here in verse 17. If he refuses to hear them, refuses, not just they're not listening, but they refuse to hear it. He says, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. That means you do what? You let the congregation know, I went to this person, verse 15, and I told them if they have done this fault against me, they would not listen. Verse 16, I took with me two or three more. They heard the same thing, and that person refused to hear, verse 17. Now I'm telling it to the church, right? And the church as a whole, in love, of course, right? Because if it's not in love, none of this is going to work. If he refuses even to hear the church, Look at verse 17. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Verse 17. Does this mean that you throw them out of the church building? No. 
but it does mean that your fellowship with them drastically changes. Heathen or tax collector. The idea is that they, these are not the people with whom you have close and personal fellowship with. There can be no spiritual fellowship with them. They can still come to a church building. People who have disfellowship, those who have withdrawn your fellowship from because of things like this we're reading here, because they're not willing to repent when they have committed sin against you. There are those, those are those individuals who you do not have that spiritual fellowship with, as the term here Brother Patterson uses here. There is no spiritual fellowship. They can still come all day long. But what changes? That spiritual fellowship is not there. And regardless of what they may think, that spiritual fellowship between them and God isn't there either. Because where sin is, there cannot be fellowship with God. People today seem to have a real big problem with that concept, is that when you sin, sin and you refuse to repent, they think, well, I don't think I've done anything wrong, so I'm not going to repent. That's what verse uh, six or 17 there is talking about, refuses to hear them, right? And verse 17 refuses to hear the church. They're not listening to anyone. They're not letting anyone try to tell them, look, this is what happened. This is what you need to do. No, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. What happens? The fellowship ends when it comes to spiritual until they repent. I'm not coming forward and saying, well, if I've done something wrong, no. That's not what he's talking about here. Repentance means confessing. Because here in verse 17, it's, all, it's now it's before the church. You confess, I have committed this sin I have refused to listen until now. I'm repenting. I want, I want to ask for your forgiveness from you and from that person and from the Lord. That's how we make things right. But friends, people today fail to realize that verse 15, if we will be humble people, it never has to go past verse 15. Verse 18, As surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is the same idea we find back in Matthew 16 and verse 19. The apostles could not teach just anything, but only what they had already been what had already been established in heaven. Believing the message of the New Testament is believing what actually came from heaven. That's what we find here, as Brother Patterson puts it. It means he's only going to be bounding and loosing what's already been bound and loose, right? He's not going to be teaching anything new. You know, I'm sure some of our Catholic friends would say, well, that's why the Pope can say these things. The Pope cannot change anything. The Word of God is confirmed. It is unchangeable. Man can make all kinds of various translations all they want. God's Word still stays the same. Verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, you'll notice back to verse 16, how many are we to bring with us when we'll talk to that person the second time? Take with you one or two more. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So, we get to verse 19. This is the same thing he's talking about. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything, what was he talking about in context? That this person will not repent. What were they agreeing upon? That we no longer have that spiritual fellowship with them. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together, going back to verse 16, right? Two or three are gathered together doing what? Confronting sin. That's what he's talking about. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Why is he saying, I am there in the midst of them? Because verses 15 through verse 17 specifically are difficult things to do. It is difficult to go to talk to someone one-on-one -on -one who has wronged you. It's extremely painful to go and, go and get two or three people to take with you. Uh, or, or one or two more, rather, to take with you. So that 
a reward may be established. No one enjoys that. No one should enjoy that. That's a terrible place to be. I hope this brother make I hope this person makes this right. And then what happens? They won't. So you take with you one or two more, verse sixteen. I hope this person makes this right. They won't. Verse seventeen. They refuse to hear. What happens? You tell it to the church and they refuse to hear the church. And what do you do? Things begin to change. And how sad it is. Maybe you never find ourselves in those difficult situations. But when we do, let us have the courage and the boldness to follow the biblical pattern. And we find here in verses 15 through 17, how can this be applied today in the secular world? A coworker, you know, has an issue with you. Go talk to that person one-on-one. Don't go, you know, whining and crying to, to someone else or to your boss even. Wait until you go talk to a person one-on-one. Because one of the first things that good bosses will ask you is, have you talked to that person? And if they won't talk to you, that's when you start, you know, you know, hey, you know, boss, or <laughs> maybe I've talked to this person. Can you maybe one of the person come with me and let's go talk to them? Because I've already talked to them one-on-one. You know, that said a lot about that in, that individual. If you if you go and talk to your employer and say, look, I've already talked to them one-on-one. They won't listen to anything I have to say. I need someone to come with me to talk with them so that every word can be established. Every word can be heard and confirmed, right? A painful thing to do. But friends, that's how difficult souls sometimes are spared from the fires of hell by doing things that are not comfortable. In verses 21 and following, you have the parable of the unforgiving servant. And this, to me, is one of the most disappointing parables you read about because you find a man who is given so much grace and so much mercy, and he doesn't do, he doesn't return it. Looking at verse 21, we have just a few moments here, but we're going to read through this. Uh, verse 21 and following of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, do not, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Now, this is the reason why Christ gives the parable, right? Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven begins to give the parable. But Peter asked the question, how often should my brother sin against me? Now, is the answer literally seven times seven to 70 times seven? No. Because we pull out calculators, we understand what he's talking about there, right? But he's not talking about a literal number. He's talking about if your brother sins against you, and they come and they ask for forgiveness, you repent, you forgive them every time. Now, there are some brethren, there are some individuals today who may, and I haven't encountered this, oh, I never do, but there are those who know who could look upon this and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll go and tell them I'm sorry, and then I'm going to go back and keep on doing it because they have to forgive me. No, because going and telling someone you're sorry and then keep on keeping on doing it, that's not true repentance. There are those individuals today, however, who truly struggle with things. Someone may say, you know, I have a horrible temper, and, and I'm sorry. I hope you forgive me. I'm, I'm trying to work on it. I have great respect for that. I have great respect for that. Okay, you know, I'll forgive you. You know, uh, you know, we have to. You have to work on this. You know, we don't. We don't take advantage of that and say, well, hey, while you're while you're feeling down, I'm going to beat you down even further. No, but we forgive that person because we know as well. We too should rem- would do well to remember that we are not perfect people. We're going to make mistakes as well. So wouldn't you want forgiveness? Absolutely. And in verse 23, through the end of the chapter here, you have the parable of the unforgiving servant. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
He says here in verse 24, And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him, he owed him ten talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with, with his wife and children, and, that all, and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now this this is extremely old school. They're going to be sold into to servanthood. Uh, sometimes we call it slavery, but the idea here really is servanthood, because once you worked enough to pay off the debt, then you were out. Uh, slavery is there's no debt. You're just going to work till you die. That's no, not, not the same thing. And so the idea here, they're going to become servants. He says, uh, he says uh, that he be sold into servanthood, and his wife and children, all they had, and that payment be made. Verse 26. Then the servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. He didn't just release him to go and work it off. He forgave him the debt. Verse 27. He forgave him the debt. Don't you wish that if you ever missed a payment on something, you call, call up your, um, just for illustration purposes, you buy a car and you, and you miss a payment or two because you're laid off or whatever it is, and they start calling you and you start saying, look, if you'll be patient with me, I'll pay it all. And they would turn around and say, you know what? We'll take care of it. That doesn't happen. <laughs> but wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be amazing? Um, but we find here in verse 27, that's basically the idea. He's saying, if you'll, you know, he says, you'll have patience with me. I will pay you all. Verse 27, he was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. I'm sure verse 26, in my opinion, probably had a lot of tears there. I don't see him saying, Lord, just be patient. I'll pay it all. Him saying, I'm so moved with compassion. I'm going to forget the debt. No. The verse Paul, that was a very emotional moment, verse 26 and 27. Because we know previously what happened to verse 25. He said, I'm going to sell your, you, your wife, your children, and everything you have, and I want to get my money. In verse 26, he says, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Verse 27, the master is moved with compassion for that person. He released him, and then he forgave the debt. But that servant, verse 28, notice, went out and found one of his fellow servants. He owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Now, the comparison has been made over and over again. This man owed a huge debt, which was given it all. He goes out and finds a servant of his. Notice he had servants, which would be included. They would have been included, no doubt, on part of what he, part of verse 25, when he said, uh, and all that he had, that would include his servants. Um, but his servants owed him a hundred denarii. Now, the comparison has been made numerous times, but it's a large sum versus a small sum. He was forgiven a large sum back in verse 27. Now his servant owes this, owes this tiny sum, verse 28. And notice what he does. The Bible says, He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. The exact same thing this same man said back in verse 26. But notice the reply, verse 30. And he would not, but he went and threw him to prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw, the, saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt, because you begged me. Verse 32. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So he's going to have to endure painful repayment now. Now notice this. Here's the point, verse 35. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you 
uh, from his heart to each to each to you rather if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses what does all this mean verse 35 helps us understand verses 15 through 17 doesn't it we forgive that brother when they trespass against us but repentance has to take place uh, we understand there are times you know someone's going to be rude to us there are certain things we just have to suck it up Someone's rude to us, someone's not very nice to us, because if, if that was the case, people would be coming to us, we'd be going to them all the time, right? But we have to be willing to be those who, when someone has has done something much more than just, you know, harsh words or being rude, whatever it may be, that we are willing to go to them. And maybe we do go to them every time they're harsh to us. Maybe they'll finally learn their lesson. Maybe, maybe not. If we feel compelled that we have been wronged in some way, we better go to that person one-on-one. Follow the example we have there in Matthew chapter 18. Okay, we're going to stop there because you can bet you I must start Matthew 19 with the amount of time since we're already over time. I do thank you for being here with me this morning. Next week we will tackle that chapter that everyone loves to talk so much about, marriage and divorce, Matthew 19. It has caused so much grief. In reality, there's no need for it. We just got to follow what the Bible says. I do thank you for being here with me today. Hope you enjoyed this program. I'll see you again next time here on Bible Says the Rough.